0: Good morning and welcome to Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts. I'm Rabbi Stephen Garton speaking to you from Ottawa, Canada. As longtime listeners know, each week a guest and I try and find the deeper meaning beneath the literal meaning of the Torah portion that is read in synagogues throughout the world. The weekly parasha, the weekly reading this week, is shalach. Which begins in numbers 13 and concludes at the end of numbers 15. Numbers, as some of you will remember, is the fourth book of the five books of the Hebrew Bible known as the Torah. I want to give you a brief overview of the events as um, presented to us in the Torah um, before I introduce my guest, and before we try and unpack some of the meanings beneath the literal words. This week's Torah portion introduces us to a fairly well-known story of the 12 spies. Moses sends 12 spies to the land of Canaan. Forty days later, they return, carrying a huge cluster of grapes, a pomegranate, a fig, And they report to Moses on a lush and bountiful land. But 10 of the spies warn that the inhabitants of the land are giants and warriors, and they appear to us as uh, stronger than we are. Only two, Caleb and Joshua, insist that the land can be conquered as God has promised. Having heard these report the Israelite people weep and tell Moses that they'd rather return to Egypt. God decrees that the Israel's entry into the land shall be delayed for 40 years during which that entire generation that came out of Egypt will die in the desert. A group of remorseful Jews storm the mountain on the border of the land and are routed by the people known as the Amalekites and the people known as the Canaanites. That concludes that section of the narrative, but the Torah portion continues and introduces us to certain laws. One is the law of Nisachim, meal, wine, and oil offerings, as well as the commandment to consecrate a portion of the dough, known as challah, to God when making bread. It also tells us that a man violates the Shabbat by gathering sticks and is put to death as punishment for violating the laws of Shabbat. God once again instructs the Israelites to place fringes, tzitzit, on the four corners of the garments so that they would have a constant reminder to fulfill the mitzvot, the divine commandments that are presented throughout the Torah. With me this morning is Rabbi Brooke Sussman, who was ordained at Hebrew Union College Jewish Institute of Religion in 1974. After having received his bachelor's degree at Ohio University in philosophy and political science in 1999, he received a Doctor of Divinity degree from Hebrew Union College. Uh, During his years in seminary, he opened a draft counseling service and he worked as a counselor especially focusing on family and marriage issues. He has served congregations in New York, Pennsylvania, and in Missouri. He is the founding rabbi of Congregation Kol Am, which served the Jewish community of Western Monmouth County in New Jersey. He is on the board of directors of the New York Board of Rabbis, as well as the International Synagogue at Kennedy Airport. He has uh, served as a uh, professor of intertestamental literature at Brookdale College in Monmouth County, New Jersey, and he is known in his rabbinate as a wise uh, and honest teacher of Torah. Once again, it's a pleasure to invite Uh, Rabbi Sussman, to Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts.
1: I will change my last name to wise and honest. (laughs) Thank you. uh, I've had the honor and pleasure of uh, being a participant uh, with you, my rabbinical friend, for any number of years, and I'm thrilled to be with uh, your listeners.
0: Well, we are thrilled to have you back because your insight's certainly go way beyond uh, the uh, traditional understandings of the text. And you use some of your um, extensive interfaith study and interfaith teaching to help us see how this Torah portion remains uh, a viable and important uh, narrative for both the Jewish community and how the Christian community has found meaning within it. So, let's begin um, right at the beginning. The transitional moment uh, prior to this, God notes, um, tell, say, go, um, schlach, the verb. And now it's Moses' time to give some instructions. So help our listeners understand uh, these instructions and Moses' intentionality.
1: Every time previously God has said, tell, say, go, send, and as you said, the word is shalach. But the beginning of this portion is shalach lecha, go for yourself. Now, it's that statement of transition from God the doer, the protector, the giver, to now that empowerment that the children of Israel are going to require. They've only been ex slaves now for two years. And they are doing, they are sending out the idea of let's send 12 of our guys, each one a Nasi, a chieftain of his own tribe so that we can find out exactly what this promised land is and as you said they come back with wonderful uh examples of a land verdant that can supply and provide for them but they're scared out of their minds in fact they say we're like grasshoppers to them in fact they say the nifalim are there. Now, Niphalim is a very important transitional comment in this because if you look at the portion just before the story of Noah, there's a two or three verse thing about the Niphalim, the fallen angels, angels who have cohabited with women. So it sounds almost like a uh, Greek mythology story where the gods cohabit with women. Now, for if we extend this to a Christian story, then this Torah portion and the notion of the Nephilim, God's representatives, and the story of Mary and Joseph and Jesus, I see the Jewish Torah, especially the Torah, not in a traditional format where my orthodox our Orthodox colleagues say it was written by Moses because he was the scribe for God's word. I see it written by Dashiell Hammett. I see it written by uh, mystery novelists. It's a who done it, and we are given clues. Now, for Jews, these clues are going to be. How do we become good Jews? How do we, as you said, they are told to wear the tzitzis, the tzitzit, the fringes, each one because they are representative of the 613 commandments, which we find in the Torah, that a, a Jew is responsible for filling them. Now to be reminded of them means that God is not there present
0: to remind us. Or that human beings are incapable of keeping God present in their life at all times and need physical uh, rituals to remind them of their covenantal relationship. And especially in the 21st century, we too often forget that someone
1: is watching and we forget because there are so many other possibilities in this life, we are brought back. And so there are talismans in our lives, irrespective of what religious tradition we are. There are things and stuff that we hold on to or that we say that bring us back, allow us to return, as you said. So the tzitzis reminds the Jew of What God is requiring so that God doesn't have to be physically present, but the presence of God allows him to be reminded of God's presence and God's requirement. That now it is my responsibility to fulfill these things. That's why this Torah portion becomes so important, because out of twelve guys sent out,
0: only two say we can do it. And it and it feels Caleb and Joshua, um, not only disagree with their, um, team members, Mm -hmm. but their disagreement is phrased in, um, theological terms. It's not that they disagree about whether they're a Nephilim there or whether the land is uh, a land of milk and honey. It is, if we have faith, we can do anything. And yes. you, my cohort, um, are suggesting that you have no faith. That's exact. These are, these are individuals
1: who have now generationally been born in, in Egyptian slavery. They have a slave mentality. The only two who can say we can do it, we must do it, are Caleb and Joshua. Now, those two individuals become so very important. Joshua receives the mantle of prophecy, essentially, and control from Moses. But who is Caleb? Caleb is of the tribe of Judah, and he is going to marry Moses' sister, Miriam. And so we have the Mosaic story and the tribal story linking. And so we have a telling of the future, who is going to be important and what tribe is going to ascend. Because initially, once the children of Israel create this commonwealth, the first monarch was to be Saul from the tribe of Benjamin, the weakest of all the tribes. And as you noted, the Amalekites, the Amalekites are the hated nation whom God said, wipe them off the face of the earth.
0: So let's remi- let, let's just remind our listeners who may not be up to biblical history that the Amalekites appear first in the book of Exodus, in which during the um, march uh, out of Egypt, we are told that the Amalekites attacked the Israelites from the rear attacking the weak attacking the weakest the weakest and attacked um what the torah tells us are the women and children um and that there then is a battle in which um the israelites uh, are successful in protecting their march and defeating the amalekites at that time but the torah tells us twice that the Israelites should remember the Amalekites for what they did on the march out of Egypt.
1: Et Amalek.
0: Exactly,
1: remember Amalek, and remember him generation to generation,
0: and blot out his name. And tradition does two things, as we talked about ritual and the need for reminders. Um, two things to help us remember the Amalekites. One. The Shabbat, the Sabbath before the holiday of Purim, is called Shabbat Zahor, um, in which we uh, read not the Torah portion, but an uh, additional Torah portion about what the Amalekites did. And why do we do it on that Shabbat? Because the um, villain of the Purim story by the name of Haman, who um, is theoretically a Persian we are told in the book of Esther that he has Amalekite roots. Yes.
1: People have asked, why is the story of Esther even in the Bible? It's because it is the final fulfillment right. of God's necessity that Mordechai represents the Jewish people and Haman represents the Amalekites. He is an Agagite and it was Agag that Saul didn't destroy. So finally we have the denouement, the conclusion of God's requirement. And so we can move from there to the story of Ruth. We can have the story of the future of the children of Israel going through the entire Torah and, and Tanakh, the Bible story liturgy, that it either is a conclusion or a
0: continuation. So I interrupted you to make sure that our listeners kind of had this backstory. But you were um, trying to help our listeners understand why Caleb of the tribe of Judah is so central beyond this story. Now, he doesn't usually show up as an important figure in the Torah, perhaps in the Cecil B. DeMille film, he has uh, a greater role, and some of our listeners may not even know of that movie from the 1950s. But <laughs> in that movie, he had a more central role, uh, playing off as the compatriot of Joshua. Yes. But here, and as you said, as the husband of Miriam, Moses' sister. But you're suggesting something more significant about Caleb than just being the uh tonto to uh Joshua's lone ranger. He's not the wingman. Right. Um I suppose there are more modern uh, <laughs> you know uh, interpretations of that m- metaphors. But help our listeners understand more deeply where you see Caleb and the tribe of Judah having some resonance beyond this uh, episode in the book of Numbers. For
1: the Christian listeners
0: among us,
1: there's the belief that Jesus is the chosen one, the son of God. Well, for Jesus to do that, there are certain requirements for him to be the fulfillment of the mission of the children of Israel, which many Christians believe him to be, which is why the New Testament, when it's written and I have the text beside me, the text is written uh, by the New Testament of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, brought to us by the Society for Distributing the Holy Scriptures to the Jews, coming out of London, England, and the whole notion that the New Testament is not known as the New Testament or the Christian Bible, it's known as Habrit Hacharasha, the New Covenant. Now, the first covenant was made with the children of Israel. Christians believe that a new covenant was struck through Jesus. Well, why and how? Again, we get the mystery novel with the clues. For Jesus to be Yeshua HaMashiach, Savior, the Anointed One, he has to fulfill certain things according to Jewish law. One, he has to be of the tribe of the monarchy. The tribe of the monarchy is the tribe of Judah. Hence, we have Caleb. Caleb is going to be of the tribe of Judah, Judah being one of the 12, one of the sons of Jacob. Judah, da- David and Solomon become the first of the monarchs. And if you look at the gospel according to St. Matthew, there is the entire genealogy of Jesus beginning with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, continuing through David and Solomon, and then finally reaching Joseph, who who is the quote-unquote father of Jesus. Now, the term Jesus Christ, Christ is not his last name. It's a descriptive title. It's Hamashiach, the Anointed One, the Christos, the Christ, so it is Jesus the Christ, or Yeshia, Yesh, Yesha Hamashiach. Now, it becomes interesting, we have his name, and we have Joshua, whose name becomes Yehoshua, and we have Jesus, Yeshua, both meaning Savior. And so we have a linkage if we are dealing with the importance For Christians, of how Jesus can be considered their chosen one, their Messiah. Now, Jews do not believe this, nor do obviously, nor do I. But Christians have not only the right, but the responsibility to know what the Jewish Bible says and demands, so that they can better appreciate what Christian theology and understand and belief offers.
0: So in the uh, chronology of uh, Christian faith, um, Caleb and Joshua are um, unbelievably important beyond their role in this narrative.
1: Exactly. So and this Torah portion gives them that linkage, gives them that imprimatur, because as Moses is going to say, hey, I'm not going into the promised land. It's these two
0: guys who are going to lead you. Right. And they are the people who manifest the greatest faith. Exactly.
1: And this whole, this whole notion is a notion of faith. Because it's, this is not provable. The children of Israel are going to be on their own once they get into the promised land. And hence the tzitzis to be a reminder And they're going to be self-empowered to remember, to remind, to reflect, and to continue.
0: You know, um, it's all too easy to um, stick with the uh, literal uh, uh, narrative here. And Jewish tradition has asked many questions about the narrative um, you've helped us move beyond the literal uh, words of the narrative to understand how it has expanded its importance in the history of Western culture.
1: Uh, it's interesting. If you just look
0: at uh, Matthew, the book of
1: Matthew, and look at the Beatitudes, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is basically encapsulating the entirety of the mitzvah system, the Jews have the how-to, and Jesus offers the why. So for Christians, there is the necessity to make an amalgam between the Jewish tradition and the Christian tradition. For Jews, it's necessary to appreciate what Christians wish for themselves. So while not appropriating from the Jewish world and making us only the the elder brother who then has to disappear as the younger brother takes precedence so it's not supersession right it is an acceptance of both being equally valid so long as we actually read and understand both texts because when we do that we can appreciate each of our belief
0: structures you know, you've um, nicely encapsulated that dynamic, that the Torah comes to introduce the Israelites to their relationship with God, and the Jews will continue to see the Torah as the central document, um, foundational document of their relationship with God. And people will come after them, not simply Christians, of course, Islam, and other variants of faith. Um, and the Jewish people um, are not indicating in their long history that uh, anything other than they remain loyal to the original text. We are known as a *am Sigula,
1: a separate, individualized people Correct. who have been chosen by God in our breit, in our covenant.
0: Right which does not deny that there could be other covenants, simply that for those who call themselves Jews, this is their explanation of their covenantal relationship. Perhaps the two most important words in English are,
1: for me. Judaism is the most valid tradition and religion ever, quote, for me. And for other traditions, Christianity is the most valid and the most relevant and most meaningful tradition that there is, comma, for me. The moment we forget those two words, we can no longer have a conversation. We can no longer have comedy or understanding.
0: Well, that's one of the great challenges of reading Torah, because the Jewish people continue to read Torah, as you say, for me. And others continue to read Torah uh, to suggest that it's not only for me, but my reading supersedes anybody else's reading yes. of Torah. Um, and of course, we understand through history why that's a reality um, and why that tends to be the way it is. Um, we have just a few minutes left. And I'm wondering if you had some last words about our Torah portion, um, in a different direction, returning perhaps to, um, Moses' understanding of the significance of Caleb and Joshua as his, um, replacements. I don't know if I can say this, but
1: Moses is pissed off. (laughs) Moses is saying, I God, I've done everything you've wanted. I've been dutiful. I've taken all the grief that these recalcitrant people have wished me, and only these two guys are going to be able to go into the promised land? How come not me? And that's so important, because for these people who came out of Egypt with Moses, they saw him not just as God's voice, but they saw him as God. Therefore, he had to be excised, so that they could move on. We never believed in iconography, or looking at a an individual as god ish, god like. We've always had the mitzvah system and the tradition to follow. They had to let go of the man, and I feel sorry for Moses. But hey, Jack. That's just the way it's got to be.
0: Um, well, you know, the Torah is very clear. It's not going to tell us where Moses is buried. Exactly. We can't make, we can't make
1: pilgrimages there. We, exactly. can't not, we can't not move from that spot because that's where our guy is.
0: It, it has been a pleasure to speak with you. My guest this morning is uh, Rabbi Brooke Sussman from Monmouth County, New Jersey. Um, And I thank him for helping us understand the deeper meaning of this. You can hear a recording of our conversation on CHRI 99.1 FM or as a podcast on CHRI.ca or anywhere you download your podcasts from iTunes or other sources. For Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts, I'm Rabbi Stephen Garten saying Shalom